This is episode 378 of the AWS podcast, released on July 12, 2020. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lisha here with you. Great to have you back. And I'm, of course, joined by Nikki Stone. G'day, Nikki. Hi there, Simon. How you doing? I am good. We have a bunch of updates to go through today, so we're going to move at a reasonably crisp pace. So let's start with the topic of analytics and Amazon Redshift now supports writing to external tables in Amazon S3. So you can now write the results of a Redshift query to an external table in either text or Apache Parquet formats. Now the external table metadata will be automatically updated and can be stored in AWS Glue, AWS Lake Formation or your Hive Meta Store Data Catalog. Now, this means you can easily share it and use it straight away. And related to this, Amazon Redshift materialized views also supports external tables. Funny that. So with this enhancement, you can create your materialized views that reference external data sources such as Amazon S3 via Spectrum or data in Aurora or RDS Postgres via federated queries. So this helps you boost your query performance, particularly for repeated and predictable analytical workloads. So things like dashboards, queries from BI tools and ELT type work all fit into this category. An update for Amazon Elasticsearch service. It now supports the SQL Workbench and SQL CLI to run queries on Elasticsearch indexes with the conventional and familiar and my very favorite database language, SQL. So this is an open source uh, tool. And Nikki's sick of me talking about SQL because I'm always railing on how good it is. (laughs) So now you can use it with uh, Elasticsearch. It supports over 40 different SQL functions, data types of commands to query your domains. There is uh, newly added support for joins, subqueries, curses, and functions. Goodness me, I'm pretty excited about that one. It's a good one. Another update for Amazon Elasticsearch service is there is now anomaly detection. So you can use machine learning to detect anomalies on real-time streaming data and identify issues as they evolve so you can mitigate them immediately. Now, this is built on Random Cut Forests or RCF, which is a proven algorithm for real-time streaming and is domain agnostic. So it's really useful for a wide range of log analytic applications. And this is really important because there's typically a situation where you create normal and then you just want to be alerted on what's not normal. And this is a really good way to do that. So a very nice update. And that team have been very busy. They now have cross-cluster search support as well. So now you can perform searches, aggregations, and visualizations across multiple Amazon Elasticsearch domains with a single query or from a single Kibana interface. Now, this means you can manage uh, heterogeneous workloads into multiple domains. You can provide better resource isolation. There's lots of options you can do. And when you consider how big each Elasticsearch cluster can be, having federated access is very, very nice. Amazon EMR now persists the Yarn timeline server and Tez user interface, along with the event and container logs outside the cluster. You can now debug and monitor your Yarn applications independent of the cluster's lifecycle by logging directly into the web interfaces using the EMR console. The Yarn timeline server and Tez UI are open source apps that provide metrics and visual tools for active and terminated clusters. You can now install custom kernels and data science libraries on EMR clusters directly from EMR notebooks. So EMR notebooks is a managed service that provides a fully managed Jupyter-based notebook and that Jupyter kernel provides programming language support in Jupyter. EMR iPoth Python is the default kernel. Additional kernels include R, Julia, and many others. And today they're announcing a new feature that allows data scientists, analysts, and engineers to install and execute custom kernels on the EMR cluster directly from the EMR notebook. 
Before this feature, you had to install custom kernels on a cluster, which required a multi-step installation process. Moving on to the topic of business applications, the Amazon Chime SDK has enabled WebRTC simulcast to improve video performance. So you can now use the Chime SDK for JavaScript to develop apps that automatically adapt to changing conditions to optimize the video experience for each meeting attendee. From the SDK, you can enable the simulcast feature supported by the underlying WebRTC library. Once enabled, each client joining an Amazon Chime SDK meeting will automatically display the highest quality video available for its unique situation by considering network conditions and the total number and types of video streams being shared in the meeting. This one is actually pretty cool. My manager actually demoed this one to us. It's, it's pretty sick. There's a ton of other information about this that I will not go into in the interest of time, but I highly encourage you to check it out. Um, and then lastly in this topic, Alexa for Business is now available on life-size icon meeting room systems. So life-size meeting room systems with Alexa built-in enables life-size customers into a wide range of productivity-enhancing voice-activated commands without requiring additional hardware. Users get a touch-free way to interact with life-size room systems and can save time by leveraging Alexa to check into rooms, join meetings, and call contacts. With the life-size directory integration, users can easily leverage name-based calling to reach any contact, room system, or meetings within their organization. Moving on to the topic of compute, AWS Lambda now supports the Amazon Elastic File System service that is now generally available. I know Nikki is very excited about this one because uh, <laughs> basically what this means now is you can share your data across function invocations, you can read large reference data files and you can write output to a persistent and shared data store. So this is all kinds of excitement uh, to make this happen. I'm not going to get into the details because there's lots of details to, to look into. But if you uh, need more than the 512 meg of storage than you're used to in the past, well, here's your answer. Amazon, EC <laughs> Amazon ECS capacity providers now support delete functionality. So you can now delete your capacity providers when they're no longer needed. And there is a uh, both the console and the new delete capacity provider API. So this means you can get even better control over your capacity that you're managing. Amazon EC2 auto-scaling now supports instance refresh with auto-scaling groups. So this lets you automatically update the instances in your ASG to release new application versions or make infrastructure changes. So in the past, you would typically write custom scripts to do this. Now you don't have to do that. You can just trigger the configuration update. So things like new AMIs or changing instance types, and you can roll it out all at once or gradually. Super powerful, super useful. Amazon EKS now supports EC2 inf1 instances. So you can now use EKS to run containers on Amazon EC2 inf1 instances. And with EKS and the AWS Neuron Kubernetes device plugin, it's easy to combine multiple inferentia devices in your cluster to run high performance and cost-effective inference workloads at scale. Amazon EC2 wasn't quite finished there. Uh, they announced the general availability of their G4DN bare metal instances. Uh, those are the ones that are GPU instances with up to eight NVIDIA T4 GPUs. So yeah, those went GA. They offer the best price and performance for GPU-based ML inference, training less complex ML models, graphics applications, and others that need access to NVIDIA libraries such as CUDA, CUDNN, and NVNC. 
And there was even more, the Amazon EC2 C6G and R6G instances powered by the AWS Graviton 2 processors are also now generally available and we'll have a deep dive into this coming up on the podcast. But the thing you want to know is it delivers up to 40% better price performance over x86-based EC2 C5 instances for compute-intensive workloads. So things like HPC, batch processing, ad serving, video encoding, game, scientific modeling, distributed analytics, etc. Uh, customers who have used this have been really excited about what it does. So it's a pretty exciting launch. And there's even more. There's the EC2 C5A instances, which feature the second generation AMD Epic processors. So these are the second generation processor at running at frequencies up to 3.3 gigahertz, and they are generally available. And they offer price performance benefits of 10% lower cost over comparable instances as well. So again, really good way to improve cost and improve performance. The EC2 Image Builder now supports connectivity through AWS Private Link. So this means you can privately access your EC2 Image Builder from within your VPC without using public IPs and none of the traffic has to traverse across the internet at all. So that makes it nice and easy to connect that up, which may adhere to your own personal security requirements. Elastic Beanstalk has a couple announcements here. They have added support for IMD SV2 and service linked rule for managed updates. Uh, so now they now support IMD SV2, which is an on instance component to securely access instance metadata. It comes with many enhancements, including support for session oriented requests. And you can learn more about those enhancements in a blog post. And then they've also launched the ability to, or they have service linked role for managed updates. So you can add permissions required to use the managed updates feature in your Elastic Beanstalk environment through a role managed by the Elastic Beanstalk service, which ensures that your environment will always have the right permissions to perform managed updates. They've also announced the general availability of Amazon Linux 2 based Tomcat platforms. So you can now run your applications on Elastic Beanstalk using the new generation of Tomcat Elastic Beanstalk platforms built on top of Amazon Linux 2. This new generation of Tomcat uh, comes with Amazon Coretto, which is our open JDK. And these platforms support static files proxy and come in four platform branches, Tomcat 8.5, with Coretto 11, Tomcat 8.5 with Coretto 8, Tomcat 7 with Coretto 11, and Tomcat 7 with Coretto 8. Moving on to the topic of cost management, there is now detailed cost management data available in the AWS console mobile application. So you can see detailed costs on the go with your mobile device. So you can view your current month-to-date data, forecasters, forecasted month in cost, I should say, and daily costs as well. And with the daily cost, you can also change the filters from an unblended cost to one of the following. So you can have amortized cost, blended cost, net unblended cost, or net amortized cost. So lots of different filters. Uh, there's a great blog in the cost management blog about this as well. And the AWS Compute Optimizer now supports exporting recommendations to Amazon S3. So you can export multiple EC2 instance type recommendations, including those that are part of auto-scaling groups as a CSV to an S3 bucket. And once you get that, you can now control the columns, the filtering criteria, the object name, etc. It's also integrated with AWS organizations as well. So you can use the master account to export recommendations from multiple member accounts as well. So this gives you lots of power in terms of how you might want to interpret some of that recommendation data. 
Moving on to the topic of customer engagement, Amazon Connect now supports higher quality, natural sounding text-to-speech voices. So Connect enables customers to now use Amazon Polly's neural text-to-speech voices within their contact center. These new voices deliver groundbreaking improvements in speech quality through a new machine learning approach, making automated conversations sound more lifelike by improving the pitch, inflection, intonation, and tempo. The new neural voices are available in eight US English, three UK English, one Spanish, and one Portuguese voice. Amazon Connect has also added filtering by channel to the Get Q metrics block. So you can now filter Q metrics by channel within contact flows for a single Q. With the launch of chat, Q metrics blended both voice and chat contacts. Now you can filter those Q metrics by contact type when configuring the Get Q metrics block. For example, based on the number of contacts in a blended queue, the contact flow designer can calculate the effective hold time to manage the duration of a customer that a customer spends waiting. A couple of updates for Amazon Pinpoint. It now supports international long-distance operator or ILDO routes to send SMS messages to India. If you are a customer who wants to interact with your customers in India, there are some rules from the Telecom Regulatory Authority of India that you need to adhere to and Pinpoint allows you to support those. So details of that in the show notes. And also Amazon Pinpoint now has support for SMS push and custom channels for journeys. So remember we talked about Amazon Pinpoint journeys a while back, which is uh, the ability for marketing teams to have the flexibility they need to automate their multi-step customer campaigns. They can basically build things themselves. Uh, What the enhancement does in this case is supports notifications across SMS, push and custom channels, which means you can set the right message to the right customer over the best channel. Also, an update for Amazon SES, you can now send notifications when the delivery of an email is delayed. So this is really useful if there's a temporary issue taking place. So previously, if it was temporarily delayed, so the recipient's inbox was full or there's a temporary problem on their server, um, you'd get a, a notification after the retry if it's failed. Now you can configure to get a notification when the delivery de- delay actually occurs versus the timeout. Moving over to the topic of database, Amazon Aurora has a couple announcements here. First, uh, Amazon Aurora Global Database supports read replica write forwarding. It now supports forwarding of write requests from a secondary region to the primary region to simplify the development of your application code. That one's pretty awesome. Amazon Aurora PostgreSQL Global Database now supports managed recovery point objective, also known as RPO. So they've added support for managing the recovery point objective in your Aurora PostgreSQL global database configuration. Managed RPO monitors the replication lag to ensure that at least one of the secondary clusters stays within the target RPO window. And if all secondary clusters fall behind the target RPO, the transactions will pause in the primary cluster until at least one of the secondary clusters catch up. That's a very, very cool one, that one, because uh, often if you're trying to adhere to specific uh, RPOs that you've got commitments on, uh, that's a way to automate that, that control, which is great. Definitely. They now support PostgreSQL versions 11.7, 10.12, and 9.6.17, and they've added global database support for PostgreSQL 11.7. And they, they, you know, they keep going. Amazon Aurora with PostgreSQL compatibility now supports T3 large instances. So in addition to the T3 medium and R5 class instances that are already available, you can now spin up a Amazon Aurora with PostgreSQL on a T3 large instance, which is a cost-effective option for smaller workloads such as test dev and QA. And there've been lots and lots of updates for customers in the database area. Amazon Aurora snapshots can now be managed via AWS Backup. 
So now you can use AWS Backup to manage those cluster snapshots, which means you can centrally configure your backup policies, monitor your activity, copy a snapshot within and across AWS regions, except for the China regions, uh, where you can only copy between one China region to another. Now this is uh, eliminating a whole lot of scripting you might've had to do in the past, so it makes it much more easy to manage. And database activity streams are also now available for Aurora with MySQL compatibility. So this provides you with a near real-time stream of database activities for your relational database. And when you integrate this with third-party database activity monitoring tools, you can understand what's going on in your environment, use it to audit your database, provide safeguards, and help you meet those compliance and regulatory requirements that are very often needed. Amazon RDS. I love that one. It is a good one, that one. Amazon RDS on VMware now has support for read replicas. So if you're using that particular capability, then you have read replicas, which are really useful for high volume read traffic, which means you can improve your throughput. Amazon RDS for Oracle supports the management of diagnostic data with Oracle Automatic Diagnostic Repository Command Interpreter. Wow, that's a mouthful. That's also <laughs> known as ADRCI. So they now support the management of diagnostic data with ADRCI. And if you have a support request, you can use the Amazon RDS package, rdsadmin.rdsadmin underscore ARDRCIUTIL to create the packages for specific incidents or problems and deliver them right to Oracle support. That's pretty cool. Amazon RDS for PostgreSQL now supports new minor versions, 12.3, 11.8, 10.13, 9.6.18, and 9.5.22. And Amazon RDS from MySQL now supports a minor version of 8.0.19. And lastly, Amazon CloudWatch has a couple announcements here that are pretty cool. CloudWatch metrics for Amazon Elastic Cache for Redis. So you can now monitor your Amazon Elastic Cache for Redis fleet with 18 additional engine and node level CloudWatch metrics. These metrics are based on the Redis info command and are published either as is or are calculated further to provide you with more actionable insights to manage your Amazon Elastic Cache fleet. CloudWatch application insights now supports MySQL, Amazon DynamoDB, custom logs, and more. I really like this one because I use CloudWatch application insights. Uh, so they've, they've launched several new features and they now expand their monitoring support for two databases in addition to Microsoft SQL Server. They now support MySQL and Amazon DynamoDB. So you can now easily configure monitors for these databases on CloudWatch and detect common errors such as slow queries, transaction conflicts, and replication latency. It's a very, very cool one. And they, they also did uh, SQL Server high availability as well. So they were busy, busy, busy in making making this work. And I think the, the important thing here, Nick, is this is a way to really understand what your application is doing from a performance perspective. And without visibility, you can't analyze. And uh, as a developer of long standing, you know how important that part is. Definitely. Love my logs. <laughs> well, speaking of developers, we're moving on to the topic of developer tools. And there's something really new that's very exciting. So Nikki, tell us about what this new thing is. Okay, so we have launched AWS Code Artifact, which is a fully managed software artifact repository service. It makes it really easy for organizations of any size to securely store, publish, and share packages used in their development process. So this eliminates the need for you to set up, operate, and scale the infrastructure required for artifact management, so you can just focus on software development. So it works with most of the commonly used package managers, such as Maven, Gradle, NPM, Yarn, PIP, 
Twine, et cetera, it makes it really easy to integrate Code Artifact into your existing development workflows. It can be configured to automatically fetch packages from public artifact repositories, such as the package manager repositories that I just named, NPM, Maven, Python, et cetera, and ensures that teams have reliable access to the most up-to-date packages. It's really, really cool. It's I highly suggest nice. you go check it out. Yeah, very nice. Now, another new thing is not actually a service. It's a new Amazon Builders Library article called Automating Safe Hands-Off Deployments. And I think listeners would know by now, I'm a big fan of the Builders Library because this is a great place to learn all those lessons that people operating at massive scale uh, over a long period of time have sort of codified and shared. And this helps readers understand how Amazon approaches software deployments. So uh, AWS principal engineer Claire Ligori has uh, dived deep into the strategies that are used at Amazon to continuously deploy software into production while balancing safety and speed. And it is a tremendous read, so highly recommended. And I read it. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, f- phenomenal. I mean, it's just such a good repository. That that whole library is is all kinds of gold, I think. Definitely. Amazon Coretto for Alpine Linux is now in preview. So a lot of our customers have requested the ability to have the advantages of Coretto in a lightweight Linux distribution. So things like Alpine Linux. Uh, so you get faster boot times, you get suitability for embedded devices, a whole bunch of benefits so that, that is now available in preview. You can get it with Docker images or download it directly as well. You get version 11 and version 8. And uh, a couple of updates for AppMesh, Nikki. AppMesh has introduced timeout configuration support. So you can now configure timeouts in your AWS AppMesh virtual nodes and individual routes. Configuring timeouts allows you to add resiliency to your system with no changes to your services. So that is pretty cool. And then the AppMesh controller for Kubernetes is now generally available. So this provides a way for you to integrate your AppMesh with Kubernetes. It offers a Kubernetes native experience to creating and updating the mesh. Moving on to the topic of end-user computing, Amazon WorkDocs has refreshed their iOS app, mobile UI, to give you a new simplified user experience. So easier collaboration, uh, better file and folder discovery, et cetera, um, should be much easier to really work it into your own workflow very, very easily. Uh, so updated login screens, color palette, grid view, typography, iconography, it's a real shift and change, so a good thing to take a look at. On the topic of Internet of Things, free RTOS over the updates now supports new job configurations. So now you can roll out all your IoT devices to the same OTI update job and you can also update them in phases if you prefer. And you also have more control over your OTA update process using job abort and job execution timeout configurations. And there's also a new certification available. Infineon's Optiga Trust M is now qualified for use with free Artos and is available for use with AWS IT Core multi-account registration, which is a great way to get things up and running. Moving on to the topic of machine learning, the Amazon Fraud Detector Preview now supports connectivity through PrivateLink. So you can now use PrivateLink to privately access Amazon Fraud Detector from your VPCs without using public IPs and without requiring the traffic to traverse across the internet. Love that. I love the AWS PrivateLink updates from this updates. Uh, So awesome to see more of them coming on. 
Uh, Amazon Lex has announced built-in search intent to enable Amazon Kendra integration. So Amazon Lex now supports a built-in search intent, making it easier to query an Amazon Kendra index. Previously, you had to write a Lambda function and configure it in the LexBot to extract information from Amazon Kendra. Starting today, you can now add a search intent to your LexBot to get the answers that you're looking for, whether that is an FAQ, an answer in a document, or a link to an entire document. You can configure the Amazon Kendra search intent with the index details and the answers are surfaced as request attributes in the Lex response. The integration is simplified so you can deliver natural language answers from Amazon Kendra seamlessly in your Amazon Lex conversations. Amazon Polly has launched a child English NTTS voice. I think they already had, yeah, they already did have a child voice, but they've announced the general availability of another U.S. child English voice, Kevin. Kevin's voice was developed using the latest neural text-to-speech technology and imitates the voice of a male child. The other one, I think the other child's called Justin. I love that voice. You track the voice that. names very well. I, I, I've lost track of all the names. <laughs> I've just used it so ah, much. Oh, well, there you so go. I know that <laughs> it's like a friend. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Another update is the introduction of 3D point cloud labeling workflows using Amazon SageMaker Ground Truth. So now you can build highly accurate training data sets for three-dimensional data. And there are also recommendation filters available in Amazon Personalize. So this allows you to personalize recommendations for products things like videos, music, ebooks, ads, etc., without any prior machine learning experience. And now with this, these new recommendation filters, you can improve the relevance of those personalized recommendations by filtering out recommendations for products that users have already purchased or videos that they've already watched or other digital content they've already consumed. And I know, uh, Nikki, you and I love it when we get advertised things we've just bought. <laughs> this helps avoid that, <laughs> which is a good thing. And uh, if you're more avoiding duplication, absolutely. If you're more of the musician style or trying to pretend to be a musician style as I am, um, the Adibus Deep Composer now has a new generative AI algorithm that lets developers generate music in the style of Bach. So uh, you may not have the skill of Bach, but you can now use a new AI algorithm called Autoregressive Convolutional Neural Network or ARCNN that lets developers generate music in the style of Bach. Uh, you also get the associated learning capsule to help developers learn the concepts of the algorithm. Now, again, this is all about learning how to use this style of AI so that you can apply it to your own applications. But it would be interesting if you got to sit down with Bach and say, did you know that you are using a whatever aggressive convolutional neural network? He'd say, what? <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, in this topic, Amazon Augmented AI has enabled quality control via metadata for customers using a private workforce. Uh, so Amazon A2I is a service that makes it easy to build the workflows required for human review of ML predictions. It provides you the option to work with human reviewers or workers inside your organization through a private workforce. Amazon Mechanical Turk workforce of over 500,000 independent contractors or vendor-managed workforce pre-screened by AWS, obviously for quality and security. Starting today, for your private workforce, Amazon 2i provides additional metadata for each worker that reviews your data, enabling you to uniquely identify them and implement quality control for your workforce. That's pretty cool. 
Moving on to the topic of management and governance, I particularly love this one. Um, AWS Certificate Manager extends automation of certificate issuance via CloudFormation. So that's right, the Certificate Manager now supports CloudFormation templates for automating SSL and TLS certificate issuance for DNS validated certificates with domains managed in Route 53, issuance of private certificates from an ACM private certificate authority and configuration of certificate transparency logging. So what's amazing is that you can now use CloudFormation to perform all the steps to validate your domain with DNS validation and issue your certificate. You no longer need to manually perform any of those steps. Which so very I love. happy. So very, very happy. <laughs> yes. It's really cool. If you if you if you launch a lot of websites or you add your custom domains, I yeah. mean it's always a hassle, but mm -hmm. that's really cool. AWS App Config now has the the availability of hosted configurations. So this is a new feature that simplifies the onboarding to AWS App Config and lets customers deploy the configurations in seconds. Basically, it makes it easy to roll out your application configurations across apps hosted on EC2. Uh, containers, AWS Lambda, mobile apps, IT devices, and on-premise servers in a validated, controlled, and monitored way. Uh, so this helps smooth that onboarding process and makes it a lot easier to set it up through an inline editor through the console. And it also gives you a centralized location to store and manage those configurations. Also helps you set up your IAM policies and get up and running fast. Another update that's really exciting is the introduction of AWS CloudFormation Guard in preview, which is a new open source CLI for infrastructure compliance. Now, what this does is helps enterprises keep their AWS infrastructure and application resources in compliance with their company policy guidelines. Now, CFN Guard provides compliance administrators with a simple policy as code language to define rules that can check for both required and prohibited resource configurations. And it lets developers validate their CloudFormation templates against those rules. So it's really handy to put into a developer work stream so that the developers are doing the checking based upon well-known policies rather than getting told no later on. So pretty exciting one, Nikki. I know, I like that one a lot too. AWS CloudFormation resource import now supports CloudFormation registry types. Uh, so you can import resource types in the registry, including non-AWS and private ones. And resource import allows you to bring existing infrastructure and application resources into CloudFormation, regardless of how they were created or managed previously. That one is also really cool. AWS Service Catalog now supports sharing portfolios across an organization from a delegated member account. Uh, so Service Catalog is releasing delegated administrator portfolio sharing, which enables administrators to more easily distribute and manage AWS services across multiple AWS accounts. Administrators can now share services from multiple member accounts within their AWS organization. And a couple of updates for AWS Config. It now supports nine new managed rules. So these are predefined rules that let you evaluate whether your AWS resource configurations comply with common best practices, things like uh, SNS encrypted KMS, whether you've got Security Hub enabled, uh, whether you've got your S3 bucket default lock enabled, DynamoDB table encryption as well, lots of good stuff there. And it also has added a conformance pack for NIST CFS operational best practices. Now, just a reminder, conformance packs let you package a collection of AWS config rules and remediation actions so they can be deployed together as a single entity across your entire organization. So this is especially useful if you need to quickly establish a common baseline or resource configuration policies and best practices across multiple accounts in your organization 
in a scalable and efficient way. And the conformance pack is a YAML template that contains a list of those AWS config managed or custom rules and remediation actions. Now, this particular conformance pack has a set of rules that let you verify compliance with the NIST CFS operational best practices. So a great way to get up and running very, very quickly. And the AWS Systems Manager Explorer now has support for a delegated administrator account to view operational data across multiple accounts and regions. And so this gives you better security and flexibility by being able to dedicate a separate operations account for viewing that data and investigating issues across your organization. Classic separation of duties is available for that service now. Moving on to the topic of media services, NextGuard Forensic Watermarking is now available with AWS Elemental Media Convert. So it now supports this forensic watermarking using NextGuard, which enables you to watermark content for both mezzanine and OTT streaming context in order to enable content leak forensic workflows. You have access to an added layer of security and traceability for valuable pre-release and early release content and a simple way for watermarking during video transcoding and OTT content preparation. NextGuard Forensic Watermarking in Media Convert for pre-release content, including the recently announced NextGuard Clipmark for a short-form content, as well as NextGuard Streaming for on-demand OTT content enables full watermark automation when processing in AWS. AWS Elemental Media Live has improved input switching for live channels. So you can now use the schedule feature to prepare a media live channel input prior to switching it. In the context of live video streaming, this functionality is also known as input queue. Preparation of an input in advance of a switch helps reduce the latency of the scheduled switch action. For example, you may need to switch to an input for a post-game press conference that could start at any time. If the media live schedule feature is used to prepare the input, you can switch to it with only a few seconds of latency. That's pretty cool. That's having really nice. Come from the live streaming exactly. world. Exactly, going live. <laughs> <laughs> you can now secure AWS Elemental Media Package video on-demand endpoints using CDN authorization. So this allows uh, a specific HTTP origin header and authorization code to be used. The media package verifies this code before it serves any content, which is a nice way to prepare that. So you can use things like Amazon CloudFront for that. Also, WebM outputs with VP8 and VP9 video are now available with AWS Elemental Media Convert. And if you're in the media space, that's going to mean something really important to you. Moving on to the topic of migration and transfer, AWS Cloud Indoor Migration Factory Solution has been released, which is an AWS solutions implementation that helps migrate a large number of servers with Cloud Indoor in a simplified and expedited way at scale. This solution automates many of the manual time-consuming tasks that enterprises commonly face in migrating servers from on-prem to the cloud. For example, checking prereqs on the source machine, installing and installing software on the source and target machine, Thousands of servers have been migrated to AWS using this solution. And when customers deploy the solution, the CloudFormation template automatically provisions and configures the necessary AWS services, beginning with ECS to build a web interface and an S3 bucket to contain the front end code. Nice. AWS DataSync can now transfer data to and from AWS Snowcone. Now, this one is interesting because it, it's telling you something about a future update to come, which is AWS Snow Cone. Hang in there for a so few minutes. hold that thought. Yeah, hang in there for a few minutes on the Snow Cone. But DataSync now supports transferring files to and from Snow Cone, which is the smallest member of the Snow family of edge computing and data transfer devices. And the most delicious one too. The data... <laughs> yeah, I know it's edible, right? 
<laughs> totally. Um, the AWS Transfer family has also enabled source IP as a factor for authorization. So this lets you apply an additional layer of security when you're authorizing access over SFTP, FTP over SL or FTP as well. So this gives you a bit of extra configuration. Moving on to the topic of mobile, the Amazon API Gateway now allows sub-protocols on a WebSocket API connection. So you can now send the SEC WebSocket protocol field as part of the response from a dollar connect route, which means clients can request specific sub-protocols whilst connecting to your WebSocket API. So this uh, means that um, you can use all different types of interactions as necessary based on your application and um, that can help you with optimization. It can also help you with just improving the customer experience. And AWS Amplify Console now supports deploying and hosting web apps managed in monorepos. Uh, Nikki, do we want to open the monorepo versus uh, separate repo discussion at this point? Is, is this a good thing or should we just uh, celebrate the fact that you can now share common assets and deploy? I feel like we built this feature for ourselves. <laughs> we, we, uh, we definitely use monorepos. So monorepo is a single repo containing source code for multiple web or mobile apps or multiple projects that share common assets. Uh, the console will now automatically detect build settings for monorepos, which is pretty cool, which allow developers to pick a root directory for their app when connecting their repo. And then once the app is built and deployed, new builds are triggered only if commit contain changes within the app root directory. That one's pretty cool. It's nice. Let's move on to the topic of networking and content delivery. So Amazon Route 53 has launched a new API action, which will let you list private hosted zones associated with your Amazon VPCs. So a new API to give you more information. And another new one that's really exciting is that Amazon CloudFront now enables you to configure your origin connection attempts and origin connection timeouts. So in the past, it was a default uh, and the previous minimum value was four seconds. Now you can change the value from one to 60 seconds. And there are also two new configurations that you can individually set for any type of origin within your CloudFront distribution. And this can be used to enhance the responsiveness and availability of multi-origin applications when coupled with CloudFront origin failover. Lots of interesting detail here, but it's a really good tuning element. And the last one in this category is Adibus Direct Connect now enables failover testing, which is really exciting. Um, so of course, Adibus Direct Connect lets you establish a resilient network connectivity from your premises to AWS. And this is a private connection. Uh, so it can make a, a better performance, increase bandwidth, um, reduce network cost, et cetera. You can now use the resiliency toolkit failover testing feature to test the resiliency of your Direct Connect connections. Now, what this lets you do is to disable one or more BGP or Border Gateway Protocol sessions using the Management Console, the Command Line or the Direct Connect API. And this means you can actually do testing without actually breaking your configuration. Um, you can also cancel your failover test at any time during the testing period and go back to the pre-test configuration. So uh, testing your resiliency is always important. Moving over to the topic of security, identity, and compliance. This first one's actually, uh, I really like this one. You can tighten S3 permissions for your IAM users and roles using access history of S3 actions. So to help you identify unused S3 permissions, IAM extended service last access information to include S3 management actions and reports the last time a user or role used an S3 action. So this kind of granular access information will help you analyze access and identify unused S3 actions and remove them confidently. So sometimes you add a bunch of actions to uh, a role or a policy thinking that you might need all of them and then this will help you identify the ones you're not using and remove them. 
AWS Shield Advanced now supports proactive response to events. So it now allows proactive engagement from the DDoS response team when a DDoS event is detected. When you turn on proactive engagement, the DRT will directly contact you, which is the DDoS response team. If an Amazon Route 53 health check associated with your protected resource becomes unhealthy during an event that's detected by Shield Advance, this allows you to engage with experts more quickly when the availability of your app might be affected by a suspected attack. You can receive proactive engagement for network layer and transport layer events on elastic IP addresses and global accelerator accelerators and for web request floods on CloudFront distributions and application load balancers. Moving on to the topic of storage, and as we uh, kind of teased a little bit earlier, there is a new thing available. It is the AWS Snowcone, which is a small, portable, <laughs> rugged, and secure edge computing and data transfer device. And it also is delicious. Not really, but it sounds delicious. really makes me want to sell it. <laughs> I know. I'm thinking I've got to go get some sorbet or something. <laughs> so edge locations Please. often lack the space, the power and cooling needed for data center IT equipment to run applications. So the AWS Snowcone has two CPUs, four gig of memory, and eight terabytes of usable storage and Wi-Fi or wired networking. It runs edge computing workloads with select EC2 instances or AWS IT Greengrass. Uh, it's about nine inches by six inches by three inches, weighs four and a half pounds. And it also supports operation via battery for mobility, which is pretty interesting. I'm interested to see all kinds of stuff that gets created. Um, there's a fun video that um, was put together by Bill Vass and Jeff Barr as well. So you can see how this all fits together. It's currently available for orders in the US. More to come. I want a snow cone. <laughs> <laughs> what flavor would you get? <laughs> if you could choose flavor, what would be your preferred flavor? Probably bubblegum and vanilla or something like that. I'm going to go either lemon or mango, depending on my mood. Ooh, mango. Oh, that sounds so good. Okay. (laughs) We need to get off the topic of snow cones. (laughs) Back uh, Back to the updates. Moving on to the topic of training and certification. There is a new digital course on edX called Migrating to the AWS Cloud, which is a self-paced digital course that helps you build skills by providing foundational knowledge on migrating to the cloud using our products and services. So they offer different migration options as well as difference in database and application migrations. And you'll learn all about the available migration tools and resources, including AWS Snowball, AWS Snowmobile. I don't think Snowcone made it in there yet, but you know, it'll, it'll, it'll be there. Come. It'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> Storage gateway, database migration service, and AWS schema conversion tool, as well as cloud endure. The architecting serverless solutions course has been updated. They now offer hands-on learning with optional labs, and you will now be able to learn how to benefit from new features such as provisioned currency, AWS Lambda destinations, and error handling for streams. This is an interesting one because according to 451 Research, 75% of organizations use or plan to use serverless technology within the next two years. And so this is a great way to use it. This is an intermediate course, so it's not super beginner, but it's not super hard. It's a three-hour digital course, and it is free. So uh, I highly recommend anyone who's even heard about serverless to have a go because uh, it really is exciting when you start to see what you can do with serverless. I highly recommend serverless, period. Plus one. <laughs> so yes, I love, love this course. Uh, there's a digital course now on Coursera called Building Containerized Applications on AWS. 
using video lectures, hands-on exercise guides, demonstrations, and quizzes. The course explains what containers are as well as the differences between containers and virtual machines. It also covers how to use AWS services to build and deploy microservices-based applications and which AWS services to use to simplify container management. Obviously, this is going to cover things like ECS, EKS, LightSail, and ECR. Uh, that one's really cool if you're interested in learning about containers. Definitely. And a in last one, not last but not least, there's a new course that teaches APN partners how to co-sell with AWS. And it's our first foundational business course for new alliance teams and sales professionals that are part of the APN technology partner organizations. And this will provide partners with a fundamental understanding of what it means to co-sell with AWS and how to be prepared to engage with the AWS sales organization. Uh, we're a peculiar company, we're customer obsessed, and this helps our partners work with us for our customers in the best possible way. So it's a pretty exciting course as well. Nikki, we have covered not one, not two, not 10, not 50, but 99 separate updates today. So uh, I commend anyone who's listened through all 99 of them. It's, a, it's been a busy time. Yeah, a lot of updates today, but there was a lot of uh, really like small but really cool updates in this show, I'm going to say. Yeah, and so, and some big ones, you know, the new uh, repository managers and, and snow cones. Snow and cone. <laughs> desserts of all kinds. Um, <laughs> Nikki, how do people get in touch with you? How do they reach out to you? You can find me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter name is Nikki, like a knee and then a key. So that's K-N-E-E-K-E-Y 23. Uh, we have heard your feedback about the audio and I am actively trying to figure out a solution. So I just want to let you know that you have been heard and we're still figuring it out. Hopefully again, by the next show, we will have something. Absolutely. I say that every, every time, but <laughs> Audio from home is not easy. <laughs> That's all I'll say about the topic. No. Has anyone who heard doors slamming and other things in the background? <laughs> the kids were getting ready for school, but, you know, we do what we can. Um, we do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is where to send that. And until next time, keep on building.